Hi, fam. Thanks so much for tuning in and sticking with the podcast, even though it's uh, it's just me now. And I'm super annoying and boring, I'm sure. Uh, today's show is going to be a little different. Uh, I actually wrote out a bit of a script for it because I want to make sure that I don't forget anything. Um, I'm feeling pretty depressed. I know that these last two years have been tough on everyone, but I don't really want to talk about lockdowns. I'm going to talk about a book that always helps reshape my perspective. It's a book called Touching the Void by Joe Simpson. This book was written before I was born. And I remember my dad talking about it well before I got my hands on his old copy. Um, For those of you who maybe don't know, and this is relevant, but I come from a climbing family. My great-grandfather is F.S. Smythe, or Frank Smythe, as we know him. Uh, My grandfather is his eldest son. Uh, Some of you may have read my great-uncle's book about Frank. Uh, If you haven't, try and grab a copy. It's called My Father Frank by Tony Smythe. It's It's a beautiful read. Tony definitely inherited Frank's natural ability with words, Um, I don't know if I did some, some days I think I did or do. I think, wow, I did words really good today. Other days, like today, I feel like I'm the most pointless person on the planet. Um, I've never spoken to Tony about his book. The Smythe side of my family aren't really very good at talking about feelings. I think that's pretty true for British people in general, though. Um, I know that My grandfather was quite upset when the book was published, which I think is wholly unfair. Um, Frank's legacy has cast both an epic shadow and an insurmountable pressure on his descendants. Uh, He wasn't a good father. He wasn't a good husband, um, but he was successful. Uh, His legacy fundamentally changed our family's life course forever. And, you know, along with Tony, my aunt Ruth is an exceptional writer and explorer. And we're all explorers. Uh, Thanks to the travel bug that lives inside the Smythe veins, my parents and I saw the whole world before I turned 10 years old. Um, And then I did it all over again in my second decade. And then like Frank, I left Britain as soon as humanly and practically possible. Um, It's such a small island or archipelago. Um, And it's inhabited by really good people, but the weather, the weather is uh, unlivable. Um, However, the pressure of Frank's success leached into all of our relationships. My grandfather wanted me to go to a private or public school, as it's known in the UK. Um, He was head boy and captain of the rugby team at Wycliffe. Um, Instead, I went to a state school in Swansea, uh, my pretty city hometown. And that's a reference to Twin Town, not my own analysis of Swansea. Um, I got 12 GCSEs uh, in high school, even though the standard is something like eight or nine, but that wasn't good enough. Um, I got a 2-1 at university instead of a first, even though I didn't want to go to university in the first place. Um, I moved to America as an expert writer, but I feel like I failed to amount to anything of note since arriving. You know, on paper, I've done well. Uh, financially, emotionally, in my relationships, I feel like I've done worse than Frank, if that's even possible. Um, But most recently, I moved from California to North Carolina. 
And I really didn't think I'd love it here as much as I do. This past weekend, I visited the Smoky Mountains for the first time. Uh, I'd heard about this place throughout my childhood. Uh, one of my favorite musicians, James Taylor, whose song Sweet Baby James was my childhood lullaby. He, he painted such an accurate picture of how wonderful this place is. You know, as we drove up through the Blue Ridge Mountains into the temperate rainforest that defines this part of the world, I felt more at home than I have done in years. It was like the mountains were singing to me. You know, the evapotranspiration from the endless woodland and the rolling hills was the warmest hug. The food, the beers, the company, the landscape, all of it nudged me into the understanding that although I will never, ever be a mountaineer, I have a deeper appreciation for Frank's need for the wild places. Um, I think there's a definitive mindset that goes hand in hand with mountaineering. And this is where I want to bring in Joe Simpson's epic story in Touching the Void. If you haven't read the book, I'll give you a little bit of a review. Um, I'm just going to have a quick sip of water. So Touching the Void is the story of Joe Simpson and Simon Yates and their near-fatal expedition in the Peruvian Andes. After summiting an almost 21,000-foot peak, uh, the first people to summit that particular peak, uh, which I won't even try to pronounce, um, on the way down, Joe, the author of the book, falls and crushes his tibia into his knee joint. And this comes the day after they had consumed the last of their food and their fuel. You know, at first, Joe and Simon figure out this excellent system for navigating down the mountain using belays, uh, which is like a rope pulley system thingy. That's a technical term. Um, like I said, I'm not a mountaineer. Um, so I'm sure those of you who are listening and understand the nature of climbing are screaming at the radio that I'm using all the wrong terminology. Um, if you do have a more succinct explanation, just email me. Uh, it's contact at casemythe. So Joe and Simon are on their way down the mountain and everything goes wrong, horrifically. So um, with his broken leg, Joe falls off a cliff and Simon can't hear or see Joe. And because Joe's hands are frostbitten, he couldn't climb back up the rope, which was the only thing supporting him. So Simon, Joe's climbing partner, is in this awful predicament where he has to decide whether or not to cut the rope, saving his own life, but lightly killing Joe, um, whom he's already convinced was dead anyway. And, and this is not a spoiler, but uh, Simon cuts the rope and Joe is stuck with a broken leg, frostbitten hands, no food, no fuel, no one but himself. And he's thousands upon thousands of miles from anyone or anything that can help him. Uh, remember, this is the 1980s, so there's no cell service, not even a satellite phone. No one, no one can come and save him. He only has himself to depend on. Um, so... My first question is, what would you do in this situation? Do you cry, scream, laugh through the tears of your own impending death? Well, Joe does all of those and documents them heartbreakingly in the book. It's, it's one of the most terrifying and incredibly moving accounts of an individual mental 
battle. Um, and so Joe's climbing partner, Simon, thinks Joe is dead. And so he heads back to camp with his own mental battle. You know, these two men go through their own personal hells. Simon with the realization that he's killed his climbing partner or at least been witness to his death. Uh, and please, please notice that I'm using the term climbing partner, not friend. Um, though I'm sure they were friends, everyone in the climbing community knows that it's a strange sort of personality that's requ required to climb into what might be certain death. You, you have to be at least somewhat cold, if you'll pardon my pun. So Joe survives this fall after Simon's cut the rope. Um, he falls about 200 feet and he lands on a small ledge in this crevasse on a glacier. Um, and, and he's aware that Simon has cut the rope, presuming that Joe's dead. So what does Joe do? He can't go up. His leg is smashed and his hands are useless. So he goes down deeper into the crevasse. And when you're in these crevasses, if that's if that's the right word, um, you can't see below you. It's it's pure darkness. So in this way, Joe Simpson's story, I feel, is so emblematic of depression and what we understand of this crippling disease now in the modern world. And when you think you're at your lowest, that there is nothing and no one who can help you. You go deeper into the chaos and the misery, falling further and further into the darkness. And I know that feeling all too well, um, but I don't know it like Joe Simpson. Um, so hmm. Joe's story of survival continues as he descends down into the void. He, uh, he comes across a snow bridge and somehow against all of the odds, manages to start dragging himself out of this private hell. It took him three days of dragging and hopping on his half-broken body with no food, no water, until he gets within sight of the base camp, um, where Simon was actually planning on leaving the next morning. Um, so yes, massive spoiler alert, Joe survives to write the book, duh. Um, but the thing that I feel is often overlooked in Joe Simpson's harrowing recounting of this um, more than near-death experience is the voice he hears that pushes him forward. It's this echo that awakens him when he's falling asleep, this, this screaming that pushes him ever forward. You know, um, I think it's so interesting, right? I used to spend days without food, kind of like Joe, but for no other reason that I hated myself so much, I didn't want to eat. Um, and like I said, right now, my depression is definitely flaring up. Um, I feel like I'm stuck in my own personal crevasse. And, you know, quite frankly, who of us hasn't felt this way, whether it's in recent years or an on and off thing like it is for me. Um, but like Joe, I hear the voice. Uh, you know, Joe Simpson doesn't name it specifically in his work but I think it's God um, and even when I'm here in my bleakest place that voice whether it is God or something else keeps pushing me forward um, and I know I'll always find my base camp and someone or something will be there um, 
And for now, at least I am still descending down into that darkness until I find my own snow bridge, like Joe, uh, a sunbeam, like he describes, uh, to inspire me to keep trucking forward. Um, but there is one thing I want to clarify, you know, a friend, a new friend reached out to me today after reading my latest Patreon post, which is, you know, available to everyone freely on my Patreon site and hinted that the way it read that my misery sounds like it's dependent on money, um, but it's not. Um, I think that's one place I definitely went wrong in that piece. Um, you know, depression is really an ebb and flow. Um, anyone with depression understands that. And, you know, I will say my current situation, it kind of fucking sucks. Um, like it really sucks, but I've always figured out the money side of things. Um, and I'm also aware that, you know, you're more likely to commit suicide over money than any other single reason. Uh, so I wanted to talk about financial issues. And I also wanted people to, you know, not think that I'm just like this whiny, privileged, middle-class British woman. Um, but the parts that I didn't include in the post is that even though I love North Carolina, I, I really do hate where I live. Um, I'm so far away from the wild places that I love and I can't afford to move to them right now. I'm very far away from the people I love, well, most of them, um, and I can't afford to visit them right now. I've also wanted a family of my own for more than half a decade uh, now, but I don't want that to define me. Um, you know, I'm not sure that it's ever going to happen for me, but that's a whole other story and not something I'm willing to discuss with anyone. Um, so my depression right now is definitely built from loneliness and loss and frustration and stress with the world. And that's why I want my Patreon um, which you shouldn't have to subscribe to in order to send me messages. Uh, you can let me know if I'm wrong. Um, but I want it to start being used as a community cultivator that anyone can turn to when they're feeling lonely like me. Um, I know that when I feel my most sad and my most insane, I don't want my immediate family to help me because, you know, I really see that sadness in their eyes. Because, again, like Joe, when you're in that darkness and in that mindset, no one can help you but you. Just like no one could help Joe Simpson. You know, we really have to drag ourselves through this agony. We have to find a way to our own sunbeam. And we, we have to listen to that voice that keeps us here. We have to know that there is someone who will miss us if we're gone. That without us there, we're hurting someone more than we could ever hurt ourselves. Anyway, go and pick up a copy of Touching the Void if you can. It's a really quick, really easy read, and hopefully it'll inspire you like it always does for me. And that's sort of where my script ends today. But I just wanted to do a quick little check-in. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, I love you all. And thank you to my subscribers. You are keeping a roof over my head. And I know that you're there and you're listening. So thank you. Um, I love you all. 
and I'll be back later or tomorrow with more because even though I don't feel great right now, even though I'm in that crevasse, that voice is still there and it's still pushing me forward. And I hope that maybe in some very, very, very small way, uh, my voice can do the same for you. Um, so yeah, let me know. Um, I love you. Um, bye.